0: Hi, and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church who now meet each week in Hollywood Adventist on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Van Ness in Los Angeles. In-person church life, as with the rest of life, it's gonna take a while to find its shape again post-Covid, and slowly and surely is gonna be our mantra for a while. All these podcasts are taken for the time being from our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises. You can live stream them or watch the videos later on bread.church if that's more your thing. How to return is the theme of the current series. We hope it serves you well.
1: I heard a story this morning. Um, I was out in in the lobby um, about to get some coffee and donut holes because they're my favorite. And my family pulled me aside and they said, hey, my my aunt wants to share something. And I was like, okay, great. I'm all ears. Um, And this is a story of just how God has been able to meet with her in a powerful way. And so I'm going to ask if she can come up and share it. This is my aunt. I call her Tia because, you know, Spanish. <laughs> um, yeah. So, a couple weeks ago, actually about a month ago, um, we were having brunch at my mom's house. We had um, cafe de olla and just breakfast burritos and just the works, you know. Um, it was homestay on steroids, it was more <laughs> authentic. Um, but anyways, we, we were all there gathering, and my, my aunt was feeling a little bit of anxiety. Um, a lot of anxiety. And she asked if, you know, the family can just come around her and pray with her. And, you know, being the pastor in the family, I get the job of praying every time. So Thanksgiving I pray, birthdays I pray, Saturday brunches I pray, Um, But they they asked me to pray and I prayed for my aunt using the model that we do here. Um, And Thea, what were you you feeling then when I was praying for you?
0: First, honor and glory to our Father God. Uh, That day I was extremely feeling anxious. I was depressed. I was feeling down. I was feeling like doomsday and I needed help. I needed prayer. And on that day, like he said, we got together at my sister's house, his mom. We had Menudo in the works. And uh, when I saw him, I just had to ask him for prayer. And he did. uh, I stood in the middle. All our family members, my brothers, my sisters, my nieces, my nephews, uh, they all held their hand and they prayed for me. I asked for one thing in particular, but God had a different plan. And his plan was that he delivered me. My chains have been broken of being an alcoholic for over 30 years <laughs> and smoking two to three packs a week with my drinking. Uh, it affected my family, my children very in a very negative way. They continue to love me. I tried to quit on my own a million times, and those million times I went back to my same alcohol and smoking problem. But that day when Raul prayed for me, as well as my family members, I felt this deliverance that came upon me. It started here in the pit of my stomach. It went up and it stood here in the crown of my head. We prayed, I felt relieved. I got home, I threw my liquor away. I threw my cigarettes away and tomorrow it's going to be one month that I stop drinking and smoking. I also want to share that working in the ER, seeing patients who've been alcoholics, we would deal with them. We would give them a banana bag, which is a lot of minerals and vitamins to help them restore. And after that, they would go out Come back and do the same thing. I would see myself, God, I don't want to end up like this. But the prayer that I asked, um, it was to make a decision, and it wasn't the deliverance, but God had a bigger and better plan, and I am alcohol free, a month tomorrow, cigarette- free a month tomorrow, there is power in the name of Jesus, there is power in prayer. If I can do it for 30 years, not having a nicotine patch, not going to rehabilitation, not having that urge, it's been clean off me. All the glory to God. All the glory to
1: God. Amen, thank you, dear. Amen.
0: Thank you. I love you. Thank you, I love you more.
1: Amazing. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're here. Um, But as we just wrap up the year, um, it is pretty amazing that Christmas is just three weeks away. I was reflecting on all that had happened this year, and it was kind of a mixed bag. You know, for some of us, there were babies born and, and lockdowns were lifted. The insurrection happened six days into the year. Remember that? And then the day before that, I started working for bread. Um, are they right? Are they linked? Who knows? Um, the vaccine finally arrived. The vaccine finally arrived. Delta made an appearance, um, and so did uh, Omicron. We were able to meet in person for the first time in eighteen months, and we went on our weekend away, which was such a blast. And as we, as I look back, in the midst of all the loss, there were also good things that happened. And and as I started thinking about Christmas, as I started thinking about Advent, I thought, what can I say that hasn't been said before? And after thinking about it for a second, I just admitted to myself, it's all been said before. And that's the beauty of it. Every year, in the best or worst of times, we and millions of others across the globe come back to the familiar and extraordinary truth that God is with us. And so here is a Christmas talk. Uh, But first I'd like to, I'd like for us to take a moment and just reflect and kind of assess how is it How are we coming into this season? How are we approaching Advent? Um, So with your eyes closed in your seat, I'd like to spend some time just reflecting. Why don't we take a deep breath and ask ourselves, what am I feeling? How am I? How is God present with me? Or where do I need God's presence? So, Lord, this morning we come before you as we are. With all the things that we're carrying from the week, with all the things that we are looking forward to ahead, we just come and we lay it all before you. We set ourselves before you, and we ask, Jesus, that you would come in great power. Would you speak to us? Would you meet us here? Thank you for the story of my aunt. And God, we just pray that we would see more stories like this to come. Amen. Amen. Um, So why don't we consider the timing of Jesus, of his arrival, and what kind of situation he was being born into. There are two passages that give us a glimpse into that. The first is Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, and it reads this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place under Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. And everyone went into their hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea because there was no guest room available for them. And then about two years later, we see this in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or sorcerers, magicians, astrologers, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where was the one who has been born King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem with him. I want to highlight the timing of Jesus' birth because it shows us something about how God chooses to be present in our lives. Firstly, God, the creator of everything that is seen and unseen, comes into the world in human form. He put on flesh and walked among us. The message paraphrase says this. It says, God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the sketchy neighborhood that is earth. And this leads us to ask, why? Why? And to explain, I think it's helpful to look at Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. MLK, after graduating from university, um, he and Mrs. King had a pretty good setup. They were in a nice neighborhood in the northern part of the U.S. where, you know, racial hostility was much more mild than in the South. Mrs. King had an opportunity to pursue music and, and make that her career, while Dr. King was given opportunities to teach. But then something happened. They both felt prompted to leave these ideal opportunities and move back to the South, to their neighborhood, where they knew it could get messy. So they moved back, and what kept them in the South, in spite of all that they endured, was a love for people, black and white. And similarly, Jesus moves into the neighborhood called earth, and he did so because he loves people and has compassion on them. God left the comforts and certainties of heaven and subjected himself to things like hunger, tiredness, that feeling of sand between your toes, the worst. And to people's mistreatment because he loves you and I. He couldn't just love from a distance He had to get in with people. He got in the mess of it. Do you want to know a great way to show people that you love them? Be there when times are messy. Don't just love from a distance, but get dirty. When my dad got remarried, it was one of the hardest things for me to be at. It was hard because for me, in my mind, it solidified the fact that our family was separate now, that things could never go back to the way they were, and ultimately I felt a deep sense of loss, and the wedding was down at a, in a beach town in Mexico called uh, Rosarito, about two hours away, and leading up to the event, I had told two, uh, two close friends about it, and they said, hey, we, we'll come along with you. We'll we'll come along we'll drive down with you to be there for you they stepped into the messiness that i found myself in and i found it very comforting because i found that i wasn't alone i was i, I was re, i was reminded in that moment when they came down with me that not everything had been lost And this is what Jesus does for us. He demonstrates his love by stepping into any mess that we may find ourselves in. And he shows us that not everything is lost. Instead, what we gain is a new hope. And so Jesus moves into the neighborhood, but notice the timing of his arrival. Jesus moves in at the same time some of the world's most powerful leaders are ruling And I'm thinking, God, you could have come, you know, couldn't you have have arrived later or before? Like, things would have probably gone much easier. Like, why did Jesus arrive during this time? Matthew and Luke are presenting a portrait of Jesus, and they want us to see something in particular. But we may need to look a little bit closer. Does anyone remember those tilt photographs? I think the proper name is lenticular photos. They're, you know, if, if you look at a lenticular photo directly, it shows one image. But then if you step to the right it, or to the left, it shows the image moving. Do you remember those? You, you, we would see these in gift shops and Spencers. I don't know if, if they're around anymore. Um, but as, as we look at this story, let's lean a little bit to the left. Let's lean a little bit to the right. And let's, let's try to gauge what is Matthew and Luke, what are they trying to present to us? So let's look closer. The story is grounded in a particular historical time and place. Luke tells us that Jesus was born while Caesar Augustus was ruling as emperor of the Roman Empire, which conquered everywhere from Western Europe down to parts of the Middle East. And elsewhere... Both Luke and Matthew also tell us that around the same time, Herod was ruling as a regional king. And for the ancients, this was a way of dating history by referring to significant leaders and significant events around the time a story took place. Caesar Augustus reigned for about 50 years and he was widely known as the bringer of peace and thought to have been a son of the gods. The Roman peace, known as the Pax Romana, was a false peace that was built on, uh, built on and enforced by violence and subjection. And at the same time, we have Herod, who ruled violently for about 33 years. And he was falsely called the king of the Jews. But if anything, he was a puppet king to Rome and was responsible for getting money from his region up to Rome. And together, Augustus and Herod collected taxes. They suppressed uprisings and revolts, and they attempted to buy favor with people by building these extraordinary temples and arenas and harbors. And if you're familiar with Star Wars... Because every I gotta mention Star Wars every time. They're kind of like their alliance was kind of like Emperor Palpatine's and Jabba the Hutt's. They were both power hungry, both paranoid, and both really, really mean. And it is in this scene, in this context, that Jesus arrives as a baby, and what is announced of him is that he is the King. He is the one who brings peace. He is the Son of God. And these, these events remind me of a particular Thanksgiving a few years ago. Every year for Thanksgiving, my aunt makes a turkey. And it's been this way for 20 years. It's been her job. She's perfected her recipe. Nobody makes a turkey like my aunt. And without even speaking to her, we can count on her to provide the turkey, Well, one year, my sister decided that she was also going to make a turkey. And that Thanksgiving evening, when my aunt showed up and saw my sister's turkey on the kitchen counter glowing, (laughs) you can imagine there were some stares going back and forth. There were some looks being given. And you can just feel the tension in the room among the two. The issue wasn't that my sister hadn't told her that she was making a turkey. The, issue, the problem wasn't that there would be tons of leftovers. The, this was the issue, is that there was room for only one turkey. And what we see in how Matthew and Luke highlight the timing of Jesus' arrival is this. There's room for only one king, and his name is Jesus. There's room for only one king because nothing else compares to Jesus. Nothing else competing for our devotion can do what Jesus does. Who can forgive sins? Who can command the wind and the the waves to cease? Who can wash us clean and restore us? Who can break addictions in a moment? Who can release justice for the oppressed And who can turn the violent towards peace? It is God alone. And when we mix Jesus with the other kings that we have in our lives, we miss out on the fullness of Jesus. Of who he is, of what he can do, and all the other kings fall short compared to Jesus. Because he, unlike the other kings of history... Doesn't rule with violence or intimidation. He actually came to take that away. His truth calls out violence, and his compassion disarms it. He robs violence of its power. The kingship of Jesus is him taking away the power of violence. Every violent word spoken over you, every violent act committed against you, Jesus can disarm. Remember the scene in Genesis when Joseph stands before his brothers who sold him into slavery 20 years before. He's suddenly before them, or actually I should say they're before him. He's in a position of power. And when he can do infinitely worse to them, what he says is this. He says, you planned something bad for me. You planned violence against me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many people just as he is doing today. This is what Jesus does. King Jesus comes. He robs the power. Violence has to create a mess in our lives and he says, the harm that others have done to you, I can produce something good from it. This is what he arrives in the world to do. He arrives and isn't afraid to get in the mess. He isn't afraid to collide with the kings and rulers that we may be devoted to. Jesus also doesn't distance himself from us when situations get awkward or messy He doesn't flee when death happens. He doesn't jump ship when relationships crumble and marriages fall apart. Jesus leans into the messy. And when we hear bad news about a career or opportunity, something that we've been hoping for, when our health deteriorates, when we find ourselves hopeless, Jesus gets in when all we want to do is get out. We want to get out because it's painful. We want to leave when it becomes too much because it can feel like we're sinking. It can feel like we can't breathe. Our stomach's not up. And this may be what some of us are feeling as Christmas approaches. It's one of the hardest times of the year for some of us and it and it can be messy. We may be preparing ourselves to navigate difficult family dynamics. Some of us may be estranged from our families, and Christmas is a lonely time. For others, Christmas won't be the same after COVID. We may have lost family members, friends, so our dinner tables won't look the same. one of the hardest times of the year and it can be messy and in all of our mixed experiences all of the less than ideal situations and all the messiness that we carry with us none of that intimidates Jesus because where you or I see a mess or an inconvenience God sees an opportunity to be present where we might see competing kings and bad timing, God sees the right time to bring his kingdom. The thing about Jesus is he doesn't stay on the nice, neat lawn, like a blow-up nativity scene, but he actually gets into the messiness of our lives. He can actually do something inside of us. The second car I ever owned was a 1979 BMW 5 Series with power windows and a power moonroof. Isaac, can you throw that photo up? Incredible. I regret selling it, but I had an expensive ticket, and I, anyways, that's a whole other story. But it was such a cool car, and this is what it looked like it had a tan leather interior. And the dark red, kind of orangish color of the exterior was so unique. It was polished and well taken care of. It was the kind of car that turned heads. And one morning, when I was picking up my friend from school, we were uh, we were carpooling at the time. He he lived. Um, on this street that had several speed bumps. And he lived in about the center of the block. And it was three speed bumps in from the corner. And so I exit the 210, I, I turn on his street, and I go over the first speed bump. Then I go over the second. And then when I hit the third, I hear a loud metal bang and then dragging. So I stop the car in the middle of the street. I... I get out of the car, and I look underneath, and what is hanging is the muffler. The muffler had snapped, fallen off the car, and I was dragging it. And while the exterior of the car was nice and polished and beautiful, the underside, the mechanics, were a bit messy. And I think our souls can be like this BMW. The city does a great job of polishing our exteriors, of making others turn their heads toward us, but it does almost nothing for our interiors, for our, our, for our inner person. And we need the one who can look under the car. We need the one who sees our mess and still says, I love you. God draws near to humanity, to you and I, in our mess. And when our allegiances are all over the place to this king or that thing, Jesus collides with it all and he says, I'm the one you're made for. I'm the king that you need. I am the bringer of peace. And as we trust that he is who he says he is, we can open ourselves to him and he begins to make us more of who we're supposed to be. He frees us to really be ourselves. And in the messiness that we may find ourselves in, what he wants us to know is that he's the one we need. Wrapping up here, um, Advent simply means arrival or coming. If you're familiar with the four weeks of Advent, then you may have heard, or maybe you are already aware of this, that the theme of the first week is hope. Technically, we're, we're a week late, um, but that's on brand for us. This is the second week of Advent, and I think today's is like joy or something. But last week was hope. And so we're going to pretend that last week was this week, okay? This is the first week of Advent. But biblical hope is based on a person which makes it different than optimism. Optimism is centered on circumstances. It chooses to see, in any situation, how circumstances can work out for the best. Hope, on the other hand, isn't necessarily focused on the circumstances. Hopeful people in the Bible often recognize that there is no evidence in their situation that things will get better. No certainty, no guarantee that things will ever progress. And yet they choose hope. So, any messages that guarantee your circumstances will change for the better if you give your money, if you believe the right things, should just be left alone because we simply can't be sure. Hope, on the other hand, looks at how God has been faithful in the past, and it motivates us for the future. We look to the past, at how God has been good, at how God has loved us ongoingly, at how God has been there, and we can say, I will trust God, and I will trust that God will do what he says he will do. Because our hope isn't in circumstance. Our hope is in a person, and his name is Jesus. And so this season, Advent season, it brings us to ask the question, is my confidence in optimism? Is it in seeing the good in situations? Or is my confidence in hope? In God's faithful presence in our lives? Because when situations get messy... When our lives are messy, and for some of us, they may not be messy now, and that's great. But it might come to each and every one of us at some point. Optimism can only get us so far. We need hope in the one who never changes, and the one who's in control, and the one who can actually bring peace in the midst of all the mess. I was um, quite angry recently at just the cycles of violence and racial hostility that our country keeps going in and out of that makes situations messy again and again and and brings up old messes and, and it's just this cycle and we mourn and we grieve and then things seem to get better and then something else happens and then we are thrown back into that cycle and it's very exhausting, and, and we mourn, and we call for justice, and, and it seems like a never-ending pattern. If we were to keep our optimistic lenses on, we'd get tired fast. Because the good is often so difficult to find, and there is no silver lining in violence. And so we need the lenses of hope that looks to the one who is above the situation. It looks to the God who grieves at the loss of life in communities of color among young people. And hope reminds us that our energy doesn't come from looking at the silver lining. It doesn't come from looking at, at, you know, the, the, the potential for you know, a a good thing to come out of a bad situation. Our energy comes from God, whose spirit energizes us to participate in his kingdom that reconciles, that heals, that brings justice. So in the mess that is our social reality, we can look to the coming king who comforts those who mourn who wipes away every tear, who guides us in his work of redeeming the world. Jesus is our hope. And the birth of Jesus in a messy manger, out in the field somewhere, middle of nowhere, is enough to convince me that God is willing to get into our mess and lead us to experience his kingdom. And so if we find ourselves in a mess, if we're preparing to go into a mess with Christmas season and family dynamics, let us remember that our hope isn't based on what we see. It's based on who's present with us. Jesus, the King of kings, the bringer of peace, the one who releases hope. And he says, trust me, I'm with you. And so if we can have the band come up, we're going to wrap up now. But as we end, you might find yourself in one of these three categories. You may be someone who's aware of your mess and needs Jesus to arrive into it. Secondly, you may be someone who's aware of the mess in a close relationship. And you need Jesus to enter in. Or thirdly, you may be aware of the mess in our world. And you want to partner with God to just show up. And bring his kingdom. And so as we sing a song, we'll pray as we always do. But it would be good for us to think about, okay, what... Where do I need Jesus to arrive? What mass do I need Jesus to arrive into? So if we can stand, we'll sing a song, and then we will pray as we always do.